Hello, I'm Joan Goodchild, and welcome to Tax Technology Today with Vertex. America is increasingly fond of logging on and buying things. Online shopping is growing annually, with about 70% of Americans, or 230 million, who will make an online purchase in 2018. But now, we may also need to prepare to pay a little bit more for our online purchases. A recent U.S. Supreme Court ruling stands to dramatically change the landscape for online sales when it comes to sales tax. Upending 26 years of precedent, the Supreme Court recently ruled in South Dakota v. Wayfair that states can require companies to collect and remit sales and use tax if economic nexus thresholds are met, even if they don't have a physical presence there. Any business that sells goods remotely could be affected, which means some companies may need to invest in new technology and processes for tax. Today we're joined by Michael Bernard and Nancy Manzano of Vertex to discuss the implications and what companies need to know in the wake of this historic ruling. Welcome, Michael and Nancy. Thank you. Thank you, Joan. Great. So let's dive right into these details with an overview of the ruling. We summarized it at the beginning, but let's give listeners some more detail on what was decided and why. Michael, can you speak to that? In a 5-4 decision that was authored by Supreme Court Justice Anthony Kennedy in June of 2018, that case, uh, known as Wayfair, overthrew about 50 years of precedence that the court had had prior as it related to online sales of online sellers. What that meant was that the physical presence test, which was established almost 26 years ago, was now seen as unsound and incorrect. And essentially what the court came to, to a decision was that a virtual storefront that is something on the web is now the same as a physical storefront. So let's talk just a little bit about what the physical presence test really means. So the physical presence test actually has three attributes. First of all, you were selling virtually. In other words, you might be selling by fax or phone or some order entry system, or today, by a web store. The second thing is that the seller had no physical presence in the state to which he was selling into. So they had no store, they had no employees, they didn't have a warehouse, so just absolutely no contact with that state. And the third attribute was that goods are delivered via a common carrier, so either by the U.S. mail or by third parties like UPS or DHL or FedEx. And so if you met all three of those attributes, then as a seller, you didn't actually have to collect sales tax on those sales into those states. What the court essentially came up with is, again, as we mentioned earlier, is that now that because the web is so prevalent in our, in our everyday life and how we conduct and buy goods and services, that the virtual storefront is now the same as a physical store in that state. And the second thing is that there is software today and technology today that allows these sellers to actually comply with that law. The other attributes of the decision were that South Dakota law required collection and remittance only if you met, say, a $100,000 sale threshold for the year in a state or you had 200 or more transactions. This is what's called an economic threshold. One other thing that I do want to uh, mention is that the case was decided, as I mentioned, in June of 2018, but there's some additional issues that have to be uh, decided. So they remanded it back to the South Dakota Supreme Court. And so there should be some final decisions or an order entered in the next couple of months. Now, Nancy, I want to bring you in here. Tell us more about what this ruling means for the end-to-end tax compliance for businesses and what should businesses be doing to prepare? 
Well, Joan, there's no question that complying with sales tax rules has just become much more complex for businesses. Since the ruling came out in June, we've been seeing responses from states to the decision, and we're seeing numerous different thresholds and effective dates, and some of those effective dates are even being applied retroactively. So first and foremost, it's important that businesses begin to familiarize themselves with those rules, with the economic nexus rules and the effective date rules on a state-by-state basis, and then begin to figure out where they need to start complying. And in order to do that, they'll need to gather data on their gross revenues and the number of transactions in the states where they sell remotely. They're going to focus on those states where they have the highest degree of economic nexus, in other words, the states where they have have already crossed those thresholds. Then they're going to need to figure out how to comply. And in order to do that, they're going to need to do a detailed review of current processes, controls, and data sources to meet those new compliance requirements and ensure customer satisfaction as well as manage cash risks. So then they'll be able to create a plan to register, collect, and remit the sales tax that they've collected on the transactions. In addition, businesses may want to consider the need for voluntary disclosures. That's a process whereby you go into a state, you put up a white flag, you essentially ask the state to allow you to come in and tell them what you think you owe them, and hopefully they'll be able to negotiate penalties with you. So those would really apply in states where the effective dates have already passed. A couple of more items that businesses may want to consider, and that is the financial statement impact of Wayfair. Businesses should be giving thought to the likelihood of that retroactive enforcement and determine if there's going to be any impact on their tax reserves, those above-the-line reserves for ASC 450 or the old FAS 5, as some of us remember. Reserves for income tax may also be impacted by this decision because there's some thought being given to the fact that since economic nexus is now the standard for sales tax, it may become the standard for income tax across the board. And then finally, businesses should be making their customers aware that their invoices are going to look a little higher than they used to in, in those states where they have to now begin collecting, where they didn't have to before. And that's because that bill, that invoice, is now going to include the sales tax. Making sure that you have proper invoicing is a customer satisfaction issue, and it's also a cash flow issue. So finally, just a series of questions as you're going through the process of of looking at where you need to start being concerned. You know, what states do you have nexus in? Have you thought about your returns process? How will you need to update your exemption certificate library? Are you able to get enough detail to effectively audit your sales and use tax activity? And do you have access to the right level of reports and detail? All right. Well, that's quite a checklist for businesses. So when we're talking about the actual solutions and, you know, technology to invest in to prepare for this, what are the best types of solutions for automating the tax process, which assist with the new calculation and reporting requirements? Mike? Yeah, Joan, I think it's going to really depend upon uh, where you're at in your IT environment. So for a lot of like large enterprise businesses, it's going to be clear that they're going to probably have to flex up in terms of their capabilities to report. So most of those businesses have an on-premise solution, so they're going to probably have to add some capabilities to that on-premise solution. If you're in the mid-market, 
You're probably reporting in a number of states, but you're also, again, going to have to expand your technology environment to handle that. So you might have an on-premise solution or you might have a cloud solution. Either one of those solutions are going to be have to be enhanced. And then lastly, if you're a small seller, probably cloud-based solutions are the best for you. Or what we offer at Vertex is also what's called an on-demand solution, which flexes up and down based upon your volume. So any one of those solutions is going to work well for you. You're just going to have to see, as Nancy had mentioned, where you're going to have to report and how much you're going to expand your footprint in terms of the reporting. With that said, your overall tax solution should probably contain several features. First of all, it should contain a calculation. In other words, collect a calculation of the item that you're selling. Uh, has to be done both at a state, a county, or a city level. There also might be special fees that might have to be calculated. For example, a lot of times in the leasing industry or in the utility industry or when you're selling electronic products, there are special fees and collection rates that you'd have to impose. One of the key things that it absolutely must contain, regardless of, of what kind of seller you are, is both an exemption certificate management system and a resale certificate management system. So let me describe those very briefly. In both instances, the purchaser is not going to owe sales tax, but they're going to not owe it for different reasons. So on the exemption certificate side, if you're selling to, say, a nonprofit, say a school or a government entity, then what you're going to have to realize is you're going to have to have a certificate from them that exempts them from that sale. The other certificate that you're going to need is a resale certificate. And what that does is when you sell to that buyer, that buyer is actually going to sell your product, not make any modifications to it, and sell it on to the ultimate consumer. In that instance, that purchaser does not owe sales tax. And so for both the exemption certificate situation and the resale certificate situation, you have to have those certificates on file in a digital format so that you don't collect and remit sales tax on those sales. Those sellers are very savvy. They know they don't owe sales tax at that point. And so you have to have a system that actually categorizes stores and is ready for those exempt sales to be proved out upon audit. There's also other things that you're going to have to do as well. There's obviously going to be returns. So your software should have to have a return generation software solution within it. And in some instances, you're going to want to completely outsource the actual reporting of it. Uh, Vertex obviously provides consulting services and also provides these on-prem, on-demand, and cloud solutions. We have some questions that were sent in from folks in the industry who might be impacted by this ruling. So let's take these one by one. The first one is for Nancy. What is the effective date of filing? And if I meet economic thresholds in 2018, when do I have to start collecting, remitting, and reporting? Joan, Mike and I get this question a lot, actually. Uh, we hear pretty frequently. I mentioned earlier that there are different effective dates depending on what state we're talking about. There are a number of states that actually the effective date is coming up pretty soon. October 1st seems to be a pretty popular effective date that we're seeing. And I think the easiest way to think about this is to say that you begin to collect and remit sales tax at the beginning of the period, the beginning of the taxable period, I should clarify that, after the business has crossed the threshold for that particular state. And then going forward, they're going to continue to collect and remit until such time as they don't meet those thresholds and they would then have to go through a withdrawal process with the state. 
Here's a question for Michael. How does this impact wholesalers and distributors? So, Joan, one thing that's uh, key here, as I mentioned earlier about resale certificates, historically wholesalers and distributors never had to collect permit sales tax on their sales because ultimately their product that they're selling is going to be sold on to the ultimate consumer. And the tax is only collected at the end sale, that is, the person who actually consumes the product. So what's going to happen here are probably two things. The first is that these wholesalers and distributors now, if they're selling remotely, are actually going to have to track the amount of economic activity that they have in the state. In other words, previously they didn't really have to worry about whether they hit economic thresholds, which was really what came out of the Wayfair decision. So they're going to have to monitor their sales into those states. The second thing is they're going to have to be, as we mentioned earlier, very diligent about collecting these resale certificates from their purchasers because ultimately they're going to probably have to report their sales into those states that they're selling remotely, even though the sales, they won't have to collect sales tax on them. So what they really have now is an additional burden of filing in those states that they didn't have to file in before. And secondly, they're going to be required to collect these resale certificates to prove that they didn't have to collect and remit the sales tax to the state. We're nearing the end of our time, but before we go, are there any other recommendations you'd make to help businesses? Well, I think, Joan, I said that because of this ruling, companies are going to require potentially significant changes to their processes, and that involves both manual processes and obviously those that are dependent on technology. Mike, anything from you? Yeah, I think one other thing that's going to be important, and we've Nancy and I received a lot of questions on this as well, is that you're, if you're an inbound foreign seller, so if you're a non-U.S. company that's selling from offshore into a state, you're also not, you're not exempt from these rules. So what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to comply with if you hit the economic thresholds of actually filing return. I think the only way for those sellers to really actually comply with the law is to go to a cloud-based solution. That seems to be the most accurate and expedient way for them to meet the filing requirements. Great. Well, that's all the time we have today. Thanks to Mike and Nancy for joining us. For IDG and Vertex, I'm Joan Goodchild.